0: No, don't take that, Joel. That's mine. <laughs> don't take that, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, I need that. I need that. I think Jim Garrett's probably the only one here that can really preach without notes. I wish I could, but I can't. I'm not that smart, and I don't have that good a memory. Joel, you know, I think often when you talk about how special things are, and of course they are, but I also think, uh, like this morning you said, that uh, the, the, the uh, Sunday night seminar will be really special. Of course they all are. Wait a minute, couldn't they be really special and then they're all really special? I don't know how that works, but you can ask Joel how that works. I'm sure he could explain it to you. Okay, I'll think about that and hopefully it won't distract from this morning's message. Huh? Okay. Well, the secret of a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending and to have the two as close together as possible. I think, uh, actually, that great theologian George Burns is the first one who I ever read said that. By that measure, of course, Jim Garrett's sermon last week wasn't just good, it was outstanding, right? Mine today will no doubt not be nearly as good by any measure. When you think about church in general, it's a topic that's very ripe for humor in a lot of different contexts. You've got pastor jokes, you've got giving humor, You've got a lot of kids or Sunday school jokes, such as the Sunday school teacher who asked the children just before she dismissed them to go to church. And why is it necessary to be quiet in church? One little girl replied because people are sleeping. <laughs> Hopefully, that won't be the case here this morning, though it wouldn't be the first time I looked out while preaching and saw some of you kind of nodding off. I should get some of Jim Garrett's paper airplanes and, and in equipping for kind of throwing it at you if you're one of those that fall asleep. So this morning's message, in case you haven't guessed it, is about church. More specifically, why we need it and why we need TCF. I've preached several times on essentially the same topic, the same theme here at TCF, why we need church, why we need fellowship, why we need each other. But it's such an important, and it's even a critical topic, It's a critical part of our Christian lives. I don't think we can overemphasize or talk about this too much or too often. God gives us many means of grace. Have you heard that phrase, means of grace? That is ways that we can access his goodness, access his love, his direction, his power, his equipping, his comfort, his grace. One of the most important means of grace God provides his children is church. But we live in a consumer culture and we have to admit that this has impacted the view of many believers about what church is supposed to be. For many, church has become about what I want, it's about personal preferences, it's become almost solely a matter of personal taste rather than the things that God wants for us, what God wants to provide for us. Now, TCF is in many ways an ordinary church. At least statistically, did you know that seven in ten u s churches have a hundred or fewer weekly worship service attendees, and then there's seven in ten u s church goers who attend a church with more than two hundred and fifty per week. The average u s congregations gather in a building that seats around two hundred but only 65 attend the median church each week. You know what median is, right? Half or more than that, half or less. This means that half of all churches have fewer than 65 people in their weekly worship service. In a city like Tulsa, we have a lot of big churches, don't we? We have a very, uh, uh, lot of big churches they are very visible, probably more than average for a city our size. But even nationally, TCF, we are a relatively small relatively average church, not just in Tulsa. There are a lot more churches our size or smaller in Tulsa than there are those megachurches like Victory, like Church on the Move, or even Asbury Methodist sized churches. This is not necessarily a criticism of those churches that I named, but the consumer culture that we live in works against the growth of average or ordinary congregations it's a marketplace mentality. The name of the game is competition in the context of personal choice, and many churches are in competition for members. You see a lot of growth that takes place in some of these large churches And it's what they call transfer growth. It's not new believers coming to Christ and coming to church. I'm sure they have some of that too. But a lot of it's transfer growth. People say, I don't like my church, or there's some reason I want to leave my church, and I'm going to go to this other bigger, more exciting church. This reality makes it very difficult for churches like TCF to compete. Now, let me be clear. We don't think of ourselves... As competing for members, never have. We entrust who we are, how big we are, what we are to the Lord. We don't compel people who are invested in other churches to come here. We pray for growth from those who are unchurched, those who don't attend church, and for those who are unbelievers coming to Christ. That's what we pray for, that's what we want to see. We don't advertise, come to our church because it's better than that boring old church that you used to go to. I've actually heard radio and TV ads that are almost that blatant here in Tulsa. I heard here in Tulsa once an ad on the radio that started with kind of slow, uh, maybe hymn-like music with organ and everything, and then it transitioned to something pretty lively, and it said, this isn't your grandfather's church. Something along the lines of, so come here so you won't get bored. There's no recognition in this kind of advertisement, that your grandfather's church may have been a faithful fellowship, full of spiritual life. Of course, just because we're not advertising come to our church because it's better than your church doesn't mean we don't want to see growth here at TCF. Yet the reality is, in a congregation like TCF, where we are very intentional about relationships, we're intentional about mutual love and support, family, where we encourage every member to play a part in the life of the church, where you can't hide out, where the emphasis is prayer and the authority of God's word and not entertainment, where the worship is truly congregational and not performance. It's very difficult to compete with laser light shows and pastors who are on TV. It's hard to compete with huge services where the congregation sits in the dark and the stage is lit. I'm glad I can see you when I'm up here in the pulpit, and I can talk to you. You're this congregation. You're the flock that God has given the elders the responsibility to be shepherds of. In some of these big churches, you can sneak in and sneak out without ever really engaging with anyone. It's hard to compete with youth groups that have video games and free food. we got free food sometimes, but usually you got to pay for it, right? <laughs> We've seen visitors who... Look at a church like TCF, but then they don't return. Or some who decide to come, maybe fairly regularly, but hang loose and they won't get too involved. Now it would be wrong and foolish to dismiss churches where this happens like TCF as bad churches, just as we shouldn't necessarily think of big churches as bad churches, so don't hear me say that. But in New Testament terms, many small churches are in good spiritual health in terms of faith and love. That's true here at TCF, but it seems that's not good enough in our consumer culture. I've read comments from faithful church leaders in other places like, I can't find people who will take up responsibilities, or we need workers, or at present we can't really do any outreach. The market and the market mindset are against these kinds of churches. The cards are stacked against the ordinary local church like TCF when it comes to the choices Of some Christian people. People sometimes think like this, where can I get the best deal for myself? Perhaps even if it's unconsciously, that same mindset of personal choice has infiltrated the picking and choosing of many Christians regarding where they attend church. When weekends roll around, what church are they looking for? Too often, at least some Christians, are looking for the easy option. They're looking not so much to be challenged, that's actually why I came here and stayed here, but to be uplifted and looked after. Now, again, that's not all bad, being uplifted and cared for. That happens here. But it's far from the only purpose for church. Many average-sized, ordinary churches, when viewed from this consumer mindset, just look like a lot of hard work, for people who are looking for a church. The Bible teaches not about a marketplace, but about a kingdom. We're part of a kingdom, and we at TCF are just a little corner of the kingdom of God. Isn't it possible that we might relate to church in a similar way? Isn't it possible that we can join and leave churches on the basis of preference more than on the basis of God's revelation of what a church is and ought to be? Aren't we all tempted at times to leave a faithful church for an exciting one? A church that does things God's way for one that does things in a fresh or a novel way. We are all prone to create a local church community or a worship service that begins with questions like what do I want? What feels meaningful to me? What makes me feel most fulfilled? The church growth movement essentially baptized this consumer impulse by building churches around the desires of their target demographics. Their constant question to the unchurched and dechurched was, What would it take to get you to come? Rarely, if ever, did they ask, What does God say a church should be? So instead of scouring their Bibles, they scoured the minds, desires, and requests of unbelievers. The truth is, brothers and sisters, What I want from church is irrelevant. What I want from church is irrelevant. It's meaningless. All that matters is what God wants. He's the one who created me. He's the one who created church. And in the case of all of us here, this church as a means of his grace for my life and for yours. Can we trust his purpose? Can we trust this design? He will lead us and guide us and help us to worship and fellowship in ways that please Him and also satisfy, at the same time, our spiritual needs. You need church, my brothers and sisters. God made you part of this church for your good. You cannot do this life on your own. Sorry, but you aren't strong enough. You aren't wise enough. You aren't mature enough. You're not godly enough. Without the wonderfully ordinary means of grace you find in the church, you won't make it. Without the support of your brothers and sisters, you won't make it. But it doesn't end there. It's just as true that this church needs you. God made you part of this church for the good of others, not just for your benefit. We read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God has given you gifts to be part of this church, and those gifts are to be used for the good of other people. This is why we must prioritize church as an expression of generosity toward others. There's no... Example in the New Testament of an obedient Christian who intentionally avoids the local church or disassociates him or herself from active fellowship with other Christians in person. There is no category for unchurched Christians in Scripture. For whatever reason, if we have disengaged from local church life, something must change, and it must change quickly for we are outside the will of God. Now, the classic get-yourself-to-church passage in Scripture, you're probably familiar with this, is Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, we see several things to note in these two verses. First, there's the thought and preparation for church services. How many of you think about and pray about and prepare for church services? Let us consider it says, let us think about, even pray about how we can encourage each other in Christ. We're to consider, we're to think about how can we with our words and with our actions spur, push, promote, support each other in our mutual love for Christ our love toward each other, and the good things we do in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this very thought and preparation and consideration assumes something really important. It assumes that we are together on a regular basis. It says here we should not give up meeting together. Yes, we can and really should to some degree supplement that spurring one another on toward love and good deeds with things like phone calls and texts and emails, maybe lunches or dinners together, activities together, but there is no substitute for meeting together here on Sunday morning, for some of us Wednesday night, for being together, for gathering together with the saints of God to worship, sharing the Lord's Supper, reminding us of our need for the gospel, hearing the word preached and taught. And this presumes the local church meeting, not just getting together in other contexts, though, again, that can be a good thing. But when you look at the dozens of the one another statements in the New Testament, and there are dozens of them, and you combine that with the structure of the New Testament church, with plural leadership and mutual accountability, none of this makes sense without the local church. And for us here, this means TCF. Then we see the thought that some are in the habit of missing church. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now there are good habits and there are bad habits. I've found that good habits are just as hard to break as bad habits. Anybody else discovered that? Anybody else have a good habit that you really have a hard time not doing? I think we all know what it's like to try to overcome bad habits that we don't want to do. Now in my case, I'm in the habit of exercising regularly and I don't particularly enjoy it most of the time, but I'm in the habit of doing it. And I got to tell you, it's actually very hard for me to not do it just like a bad habit might be. It's a good habit because it's good for my physical health, it's good for my mental well-being. I've told Barb that when I have old man aches and pains and I have them every day, Rather than lament that my regular exercise pattern doesn't always prevent these things, I say, well, I'm grateful, as I think, how much worse might it be if I didn't do these things? But getting in the habit of not meeting together, which means a regular absence from church, and I'm not going to define regular, I'll let the Holy Spirit do that for you, for reasons that may not be so good, in the context of what we're looking at here this morning, is certainly a bad habit. And we see this admonishment, don't make a habit of not meeting together. I think it's worth asking ourselves if we're becoming part-time churchgoers. And is this part-time churchgoers or is this becoming a habit in our lives? Now I realize that for many of us, I can look around the room and I can see, you know, it doesn't really apply. You might say, okay, I'm going to tune out here. doesn't really apply. I'm here most of the time. Many of us are here almost every time the church doors are open. Now, if that's you, then I want you to consider this message. Add a boy, add a girl. Keep it up, and maybe a gentle refresher and reinforcement of this good habit that you've built. And a reminder of why you're here almost all the time. Now, I'm not going to give you a list of reasons. That might be an easy thing. That's what you'd see on the internet, right? Clickbait. Seven reasons you should never miss church, or seven bad reasons for missing church, right? Certainly there are legitimate reasons to miss. And I want to be clear that this is between you and the Lord. It's more a matter of the priorities that you've set in your heart, which are lived out in your experience of how often are you here. Now here's something ironic. The next two Sundays, Barb and I are going to be here at TCF (laughs) because we'll be out of town on vacation. I think considering the message today and the fact that I'll miss... The next two services here is is kind of ironic. But, you know, the Lord has designed us to need rest and renewal. I think that's a legitimate reason. We have some who miss because of illness or infirmity. We understand that. We have important family relationships that we must nurture and minister to. And again, so there are legitimate reasons To miss, but let's consider our own individual situations and let's be honest enough to consider if you're really a part-time church member, even if you didn't mean to be. It can kind of sneak up on us. I read of one church leader who said his most faithful attendees are in church two or three times a month. He essentially expects the churchgoers in his church to be hit or miss every week. There are two wrong ways that we could look at this topic this morning. The first is to use Hebrews 10, which we read a moment ago, as kind of a club and kind of pound everybody over the head, right? We could do it that way, to whip you into shape, to make you feel guilty about not attending church, maybe as much as you should attend church. But this wrong way to motivate doesn't take into account the gospel of grace. We've noted before that guilt is a terrible motivator. If guilt is the only thing motivating you, it's not going to work long term. Conviction can be, but not guilt. And it can be even used to bring condemnation to believers. And we remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, it tells us in Romans eight one. So we shouldn't take a command like we see here in Hebrews 10 about neglecting the church without looking at the context of all of Scripture, but even the preceding verses give us a hint here. So let's read those verses right before the verses we read in twenty four twenty five, beginning with verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, preceding context, right before we read, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So if we separate this command, go to church, that's a command. If we separate that from the gospel of grace, which we read in the preceding verses that we just looked at, we're putting the cart before the horse. We have the amazing gospel privilege of entering the holy place because of what Jesus has accomplished, because of his blood, we have a new and living way opened for us. We have a great high priest. We have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. We can hold on to hope because we serve a faithful God. Because of because of these wonderful realities of the grace of God, then don't give up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together. Not out of guilt. Because when we meet together, we celebrate and we're reminded of these kinds of truths. I need these reminders. So do you. That gives me the grace-based want to and not the guilt-based have to. Let me say that again. Understanding the grace, the gospel of God, all these good things that God has done for us, gives me the grace-based want to and not the guilt-based have to. So, do not make a habit of missing the meeting of the saints, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude for what God has done for us and our brothers and sisters in Christ as individuals, as a people of God. Considering what God has done for us through Christ, Why would we not really want to be with those who are also saved by the same grace? Holiness doesn't happen because we meet every week. Holiness happens because of what God has accomplished for us on the cross of Christ. So why would we not want to celebrate that regularly with other people who are also in Christ who have also been redeemed? Church going isn't necessarily a sign of spiritual health. Think about this. How many times do you think the Pharisees were absent from the temple? They were probably there pretty much every week, right? They weren't there. They didn't miss much because they were legalistic. They were about the letter of the law. They were motivated by guilt. But Jesus had harsh words for their spiritual health, didn't he? So we go to church because of God's grace. Not because it's another thing on our Christian checklist. Well, went to church today, God owes me something, now I'll check that off my list. So while we don't want to see Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 through the lens of guilt, we also do not want to ignore this command or take lightly this command so that it becomes a habit we're dismissing the importance of our church as the family of God and the people with whom we are to gather, together in worship and celebrate and hear the gospel again and again, week after week. I think we're all susceptible to legalism to some degree. But in the desire to avoid legalism, we never mention that a ball can become a ba'al for some, or that leisure and comfort can become idols that keep us from worshiping the true God with other believers. In an effort to not guilt people into church attendance, we never make people aware of the fact that grace is presented week after week. Guilt is the result of not going to church, not because you feel bad for not living up to God's expectations, but because you're not hearing the message of gospel grace pounded into you week after week after week. Perhaps a more helpful way to respond to this command is not with guilt or with a false Grace, but with a reminder of the purpose of gathering together on Sunday mornings with your brothers and sisters in Christ for worship. We're not here just to refuel like we would at a gas station, a spiritual fill-up. We can get at least some of that kind of fill-up, can't we? That kind of spiritual life by reading a good Christian book, listening maybe to a good Christian podcast, listening to some good Christian music. I do all these things but it doesn't fulfill the purpose of us gathering together. At least one reason is written in these verses by the author of Hebrews. Being with each other allows us to stir one another up. It allows us to encourage each other toward love and good deeds. Being with each other allows us to celebrate and to hold unswervingly to the hope of Christ. Wow! Do we need that in this season? Do we need the encouragement, the grace from our brothers and sisters in Christ, mediated through Christ? Do we need that? Boy, I think we do. I do. I do. So let's think about this. We need that. We can help each other run the race of the Christian life. We run together. There's a story of two women runners in the 5,000 meters in the 2016 Olympics. And there's a video, Jerry, we ready with that audio
1: So we're just about all set for the second heat in the women's 5,000 meters. All eyes will be on Almaz Ayana, a new world record holder over 10,000 meters. Nikki Hamlin there, she's had a Commonwealth medal over the years. D'Agostino of the USA giving the camera a little wave. Two heats five fastest losers spot. Ayana is now leaving the back straight and the rest of the pack has just entered the back straight. Oops, there's a fall at the back of the field here, there's a couple of runners down. And the other athlete who's fallen has decided to stop back there with her. And she is in a lot of trouble, D'Agostino. It's D'Agostino and Nicky Hamlin. Hamlin stumbles on the inside line and then a really nasty fall and an ankle problem there for D'Agostino. The American was initially showing more concern and then realised how much pain she was in. D'Agostino is going to finish this race. It's going to be a very, very painful mile for the American. Brave performance to carry on. D'Agostino is being passed now by Almaz it really will be an emotional finish to her race which will come way after the top five qualifiers. Abby D'Agostino tears of frustration and maybe hopefully one day she will look back on this as a moment of great pride embraced by the woman whose aspirations also came to an end, the ankle clearly hurting as she decided to finish the race and that is the very embodiment of the Olympic spirit alive and well here in Rio in 2016.
0: So we see here in this video an illustration of helping each other run the race. It's part of why we're together. It's a key purpose of this admonition that we see in Hebrews 10 of not giving up meeting together to encourage each other to help each other finish, to help each other run the race, to help each other finish, to help encourage each other to finish despite the hardships of life, the falling down on the track. Picking up a fell fellow runner who's fallen we are frail jars of clay scripture tells us and sometimes we fall when we're running the race now the fall may be because of sin it may be because of an illness maybe because of tragedy or hard life circumstances or something else but will we stop and help our brothers and sisters along the way when we're here together we can do that As a follower of Jesus, you are a member of the body of Christ. Every other Christian in the body is a fellow team member whose name is recorded on the roster and who runs alongside you in the same race of faith. You have pledged to run together with the people of God under the headship of Christ. Again, verse 23, just before our primary text this morning says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Now, I don't know about you, but I need encouragement sometimes to hang on to hope, to hold unswervingly to hope, as Hebrews says. Though the worship each week is important, though the prayer is important, though the preaching of the word is certainly important, a key thing that helps mold and shape us into the image of Christ, along with the content of the Sunday service, is being together. Being together to sing praises. Being together to pray. Being together to hear the word. Being together to fellowship. Making the Lord's family, our church family, our priority. It's like a family that gathers together for a meal. Now the value of this is not necessarily always in the specifics of the conversation you might have around the dinner table. But the act of demonstrating your love for each other Just by being together. Presence, being there, is important in any and all relationships we could name. And God uses the relationships we share in Christ to shape us and form us. We don't go to church because of guilt, we are the church because of grace. So we encourage one another. But we see the last phrase of this passage, and it seems timely. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Now, I don't know if the state of our nation and our world is an indicator that he's coming back soon, maybe in our lifetime, or not. It might be. But as we see the world changing, and most of us would agree that it's not for the better, it can't help but give extra meaning to the last phrase here in our primary text from Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. After it tells us to consider how we can spur each other on toward love and good deeds. After it tells us to not give up meeting together and we're still not to make a habit of missing the gathering with our church family. After it tells us to encourage one another, the writer of Hebrews adds this, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Of course he's talking about the day of Christ's return. Now this was written about 2,000 years ago, and many generations of Christians then and since then have thought or believed that they were in the end times, that the day of his return was soon. Many believers today think or believe that, and that's fine, and that may be true. But whether Jesus' second coming is imminent today tomorrow, just months or maybe some years away or maybe still decades or even centuries away, the admonishment to encourage one another, the admonishment to not give up meeting together still holds true. Even as it did for the original readers of this book of Hebrews 2,000 years ago. So, let's not make a habit of giving up meeting together. Let's encourage one another My brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need church. We need TCF. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful, Father God, for this tremendous admonition that we see in this passage of Scripture. Father, help us to never become part-time churchgoers. Even recognizing there are legitimate reasons to miss church, there are seasons when we must There are times when we must, but Lord, let us instead make a habit of being here together to encourage one another, to support each other in the race of the Christian life, to help each other when we fall down and help each other get back up and work through those things. We're grateful, Father, that you've given us each other. We're grateful that you've given us TCF. We commit this now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bill, so much for this very timely word.